with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness, from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with. Stones throw. Yesterday is Tuesday, August the twenty fourth, two thousand and four, and I want to talk today about humor. Yeah, what a humorous subject! Yes, I was thinking this morning. I was listening to the news all about Edvard Munch's painting, "The Scream," having been stolen by a group of thieves. It's not the sort of thing they're going to want to keep around the house. I remember. I had a college professor.、Uh, she used to take a print of that、uh, of Edvard Munch's *The Scream* and tack it up on the chalkboard during final exams. Now, I don't know whether you think that's funny. Most of the students didn't laugh. They didn't think that was very funny. It's kind of a test of character. What we laugh at is getting harder and harder, folks. Last week. On、uh, the morning show, I think I was、uh, chatting about a guy called Brad Stein, spelled S-T-I-N-E, S-T-I-N-E, Brad. He's been profiled in the New Yorker, and I was just giving a heads-up notice. This is a evangelical Christian comedian. He wants to、um, appear at the Republican convention and go on to the Tonight Show. His、uh, Goal is to be a crossover comedian. <laughs> okay.、Um, I always think of my first duty as、um, making the world safe for satire. Goddess knows what's left of the left、uh, can be laughed at. You know our utopian nonsense.、Uh, but、uh, I get very nervous when I see somebody like Brad Stein. Uh, he sold forty thousand copies of his CD. It's a CD called、uh, "Put Your Helmet On." It's all about these、um, liberal wimps, you know, who demand、uh, helmet laws for guys on motorcycles.、Uh, now, I'm one of those who's convinced that comedy will fail, will fall flat when it is mean spirited, when it is cruel. <laughs> I could be right. I could be wrong. When we laugh at the poor, the、uh, old, the ill, the disenfranchised,、uh, something, something goes wrong. It's more of a sneer than a laugh.、Uh, it's getting harder and harder to draw the line.、Uh, now, what I do is I go to the women, the women comics and the women comedians. 
there may be some mean-spirited um, right-wingers in that crowd. I don't, I can't think of any. If you know some, uh, tell me. Um, I think of women comedians as radicals, uh, certainly radical feminists, and, um, of course, they're um, basically uh, liberal in their orientation, you know, um, from Dorothy Parker to Roseanne to uh, Lily Tomlin. Women know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of the joke, to be the butt of the joke, yes. They tend to identify with the underdog, although, um, <laughs> yes, there's every, there's every variety, folks. Uh, back in the early 20th century or up to the mid 20th century, Dorothy Parker was the template. Uh, she wrote that humor may be a shield, but that it's never a weapon. Now, that one worried me for years because I think it can be both. I know what she means, that humor is most often used to deflect anger, to turn aside uh, uh, hatred. But I think as a weapon, it's, what is it, it's consciousness raising. It can get through to people. The great Italian filmmaker Lena Wertmuller once wrote... Uh, she said, laughter is the Vaseline that makes the ideas penetrate. She said, not in the euphemism, not in the ass, but in the brain, in the mind. Um, now, we all know that to have any depth, humor must be born in sorrow. It must come out of the pain of our existence. Uh, comedy is tragedy averted and all those wonderful cliches. Even uh, that poet Sigmund Freud told us that humor is radical, anti-establishment, uh, that it's a form of resistance to the status quo, to things as they are. And Eastern wisdom, the Zen thinkers, tell us that laughter is always the first symptom of enlightenment, you know, <laughs> what we call, what I call the Zen slap. Uh of course, the ruling class, the uh, guys who are in charge, and even the women in charge, fear laughter. Uh, they fear it with good reason because, of course, it uh, demystifies. It takes the uh, veil off. It busts their balloon. You know how that goes. Oscar Wilde used to explain to us that uh, it's no good saying that war is evil, evil, evil. You have to show people that it's funny, that it's absurd, that militarism and megalomancho behavior um, is a cartoon, basically, that it's um, not just irrational, but uh, uh, it's one of the mental illnesses. Now, I always think if you could render uh, soldiers absurd, well, no, no, you have to render the, the situation absurd. You know how this is... Uh, Especially right now in Iraq, everybody is so concerned about the uh, the health and welfare of these uh, young people. We're just just scared to death to say anything unkind, uh, to tell them that what they're doing is ridiculous, is very cruel. Uh, but I can't help giggling a little 
all this nonsense about Senator Kerry's medals, you know. What was it? They said, uh, the question is whether or not he received the medal for bravery under fire. Well, it seems that the guys on the right side of the river said that they were under fire, and the guys on the left side of the river said they weren't under fire, and on and on and on. All this is about, uh, you know, their their manhood, the uh, the primate grandiosity of uh, all those years ago. Anyway, uh, Senator Kerry uh, had better get busy and come up with a, a new spin on this. Uh, I want these men to stand naked in a field without uniforms, stripped of the medals. Let them mud wrestle in the nude. Then, then we'll see. It'll be like the Olympics, right? He who hops highest gets the prize, gets to be the king, the king of the world. Anyway, uh, this morning I went through a new book that uh, I had on the air here recently called She's So Funny, edited by Judy Brown, you know. 1,768 of the best jokes for women comedians. And I have to admit that while I liked a lot of them, um, it's getting harder and harder to twist humor out of the human condition. Uh, let's see, here's Carrie Snow. She says, if women ruled the world and we all got massages... There would be no war. Well, that's something. Oh, back in the 60s, we really got into that. I remember writing entire plays and, oh, a lot of poems about the ways in which sexual satiety, you know, would put a stop to violence, to brutality. Uh, uh, Wilhelm Reich. His psychology taught, yes, that the orgasm was the solution to everything. An orgasm a day keeps the psychiatrist at bay. Um, rot's a rock, folks. I, I think that in today's world, the, um, the rise of religious fundamentalism is a good indication that, uh, that's not happening, folks. Um, women are the enemy again. Women, the feminine principle. Uh, we're all battling that, yes, even, um, poor John Kerry. <laughs> he has to prove that he's one of the, uh, boys, that he's a great killer. Last week, the Indian author, Arundhati Roy, was speaking at the Berkeley Community Theater together with Amy Goodman. And when I watched them, I thought, it's funny that we don't bill these women as comedians, as, uh, brilliant wits and funny girls. They have to be billed as gravitas, which, of course, they are. There's nothing more serious than uh, a sense of humor. But their wit and wisdom, uh, what is it? It's not their, it's not their number one PR. Uh, when, when they, you know, when they are billed as um, wisecrackers or smart alex, you know, they're, they're not on the top of the agenda. Uh, I'm glad, of course, that they are at the head of the list and that they have been given the status of philosophers and great thinkers. But that edge, that uh, humor, is what appeals to me. Arundhati Roy was laughing at the Bush ultimatum, you know, that uh, for us or against us thing, you know. You're with us or we're the terrorists, yes. Uh, she calls that Mickey Mouse or the Mullahs. Her exact words Wednesday were, uh, it's the malevolent Mickey Mouse 
or the murdering mullahs. <laughs> I've been carrying that phrase around with me ever since I got her books on politics. Now, you know Arundhati Roy has a number of books out on politics as well as uh, her uh, magnificent novel, The God of Small Things. I hope they will teach The God of Small Things in high school this year. I was talking to a young woman who's starting off as a high school freshman and Yes, she said they would start. Well, they're going to read the Odyssey. It isn't that Homer doesn't have something to teach us. I just thought, you know, maybe it's time for a change. Arundhati Roy spoke um, so eloquently of the slaughter of our language. She used the word slaughter. I think of Toni Morrison in her Nobel laureate speech. She told us that oppressive language drinks blood, that it laps vulnerabilities. Um, Toni Morrison, back in 1993, had her finger on the pulse. She said that, you know, um, oppressive language, she writes, tucks its fascist boots under crinolines of respectability and patriotism as it moves relentlessly toward the bottom line and the bottomed-out mind. Sexist language, racist language, theist language, all are typical of the policing languages of mastery, and they cannot, they do not permit new knowledge or encourage the mutual exchange of ideas. Now, we know that ever since we... <laughs> went to war and had this wartime president, uh, the language has taken a dive. Um, it's, what is it, it does more than represent violence. It is violence. It does more than represent the limits of knowledge. It limits knowledge. So Toni Morrison calls it uh, a faux language of law without ethics. Language designed for the estrangement of minorities, hiding racist plunder in its literary cheek. Yes, indeed. Um, here's what she says. Ah, I like this. She says, uh, she says, yes, that the intellectual mercenary, the insatiable dictator, the paid-for politician, the demagogue, the counterfeit journalist, you know, are everywhere, she says, there is and there will be rousing language to keep the citizens armed and arming, slaughtered and slaughtering in the malls, courthouses, post offices, playgrounds, bedrooms, boulevards, stirring, memorializing language to mask the pity and the waste of needless death. There will be more diplomatic language to countenance rape, torture, assassination. There is and will be more seductive mutant language designed to throttle women, to pack their throats like pate-producing geese with their own unsayable, transgressive words. There will be more of the language of surveillance disguised as research. <laughs> Politics and history calculated to render the suffering of millions mute. Language glamorized to thrill the dissatisfied and bereft into assaulting their neighbors. Arrogant pseudo-empirical language crafted 
to lock creative people into cages of inferiority and hopelessness. Yes. So, uh, that's the end of the Toni Morrison uh, quote. She speaks of the languishing, the languishing language. Um, <laughs> yes, I always say yes. The comforts of the cage must be paid for with the corsets of conformity. More and more, the people I know pull their punches. They watch what they say. They, they use euphemisms over and over again. Uh, I wanted to read you just a little bit of a, a profile of a woman that, uh, she's not really a literary woman and I, I didn't pay enough attention to her, uh, when she first arrived on the scene because she's a theologian. But now that I understand that religious fundamentalism is uh, one of the, what is it, one of the most dangerous em enemies of modern feminism, I've gone back to her again. She's Mary Daly. And, um, oh, you can find her books in any feminist library. Uh, she's a uh, strange sort of saint. She went right into the church and what I would call, uh, you know, gutted it to show us the patriarchal ploys that um, we've been tricked by. What is it? She says here, my favorite chant. She said, uh, my favorite chant is witch, witch trial Jesuit style. <laughs> witch trial Jesuit style, right. This is a woman who created a feminist lexicon. She has a book out called The Wickedary. And she's uh, described as a gleeful flamethrower in the world of academic theology. She was in Boston College and, oh, big fuss over Mary Daly for years and years. They were always trying to fire her and take away her tenure, and the students always championed her. Uh, she is the one who advocates what I would call using the language as a weapon, as a sword. Uh, she says things like, sin big. She says that uh, women are trapped in patriarchy, the religion of the entire planet. And the only way to be in the fullest sense is to sin. She dug it out of an Indo-European root of the word to be, yes. Uh, she calls herself a radical feminist pirate who cultivates the courage to sin. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mary Daly began, well, let's see, she's probably my age or older. She began as a Catholic schoolgirl, and, uh, yes, she, um, her, her wordplay scared me at first because she does take such license. Uh, <laughs> here she is, yes, she says, she wanted to study philosophy. And theology was where she could get some scholarships. Uh, let's see. She went to Switzerland in 1959. Because that's where the scholarship money was available. There were no uh, uh, scholarships for women in uh, Massachusetts here. She accumulated, she said, four degrees in Freiburg. And she got ready to sin big. She says, theology especially medieval Catholic theology, is a treasure chest containing archaic gems. 
By studying arduously, she writes, I equipped myself to reverse the reversals inherent in Christian dogma and decode its doctrines with precision. Subsequently, I would take the myths, symbols, and mysteries, in quotes, out of their phallocentric framework and make them visible in a woman-centered context. Okay, now, the early books are Beyond God the Father. That one hit us like a bombshell. That's 1973, folks. All those years ago, more than 30 years ago, then in 1978 came Gyn Ecology. That's spelled G-Y-N slash Ecology, E-C-O-L-O-G-Y. The doctrines of male God and Trinity are revealed as distorted reflections of ancient female images of divinity. So also the idea of the virgin birth, you know, that business about <laughs> Jesus. Uh, he is a, both, both a pale derivative and a reversal of pre-patriarchal myths of parthenogenesis, which produces divine daughters, not sons. Golly, that was fun. Back in the 70s, I wrote plays in which the, the leading character was called Pangea, I remember. She, she was a, a product of parthenogenesis. Um, you know, not, not uh, Athena springing from the head of Zeus, but the other way around. Anyway, uh, Mary Daly goes on to say that she plundered, she plundered the uh, dogma and ideology of the church. Uh, she also had a wonderful time exploring Europe, she says, on a very skimpy shoestring. In 1964, she published an article in Commonweal, uh, a magazine on women in the church, yes. Uh, this led to a letter from a British publisher who suggested that she write a book. So then she said she began her smuggling career. In 65, 1965, she went to Rome for the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church. One day, she says, I borrowed a journalist's ID card and went to St. Peter's Basilica to sit in on a major session. In the distance, I saw a huge number of cardinals, bishops, old men in crimson dresses. In another section were the auditors. In quotes, yes a group that included a few women, most of whom were nuns, dressed in long black habits. The women sat docilely listening to the senile, cracking whines of the men in red. Uh, They droned on in Latin, which the readers as well as the listeners barely comprehended, but what I found most appalling was the contrast between the arrogant bearing and colorful attire of the so-called princes of the church, in quotes, and the humble, self-deprecating manner of the women. When the veiled nuns shuffled to the altar rail to receive holy communion from the hands of a priest, I felt that I was observing a string of lowly ants at a bizarre picnic. No Fellini movie could have outdone this unintended self-satire of Catholicism. The other night I was watching, I'm breaking in on Mary Daly here, I was watching an old Fellini movie called Roma. It's uh, Fellini's fantasies about uh, the city of Rome. And there is the most incredible uh, fashion show, the Vatican fashion show. It's absolutely a knockout. I recommend it if you ever get a chance to rent Roma, just just for the Vatican fashion show for the uh, the uh, priests. They look like floats, you know, going round and round in their... Uh, 
Oh, silly clothes. Mary Daly goes on to say, I came to see that all these so-called major religions, from Buddhism and Hinduism to Islam, Judaism, Christianity, as well as such secular derivatives as Freudianism, Jungianism, Marxism, and Maoism, are merely sects. Infrastructures of the edifice of patriarchy all are erected as parts of the male shelter against animo, anime, that is, unpredictability, disorder. <laughs> yes, my footnote here is the symbol of this for uh, the fascists in the 40s was Red Rosa Luxembourg. Communism, you know, disorder. Uh, the symbolic message, of course, is that woman is the enemy, the real object under attack in all the wars of patriarchy. And, of course, I refer you again to the situation that is developing all across the world in today's toxic uh, toxic climate of terrorism. And the only way, of course, to fight it is to uh, laugh your head off, folks. Uh, Mary Daly goes on to talk about her moments of revelation in Rome and uh, how this inspired her humor, stoked the fires of my fury, she says, not merely against the Catholic Church and the other religions and institutions, but against everything that dulls and diminishes women. Uh, she said, I wanted to shout to all women within earshot, tell on them, laugh out loud at their pompous, penile processions, reverse their reversals, decode their mysteries, break their taboos, spin tapestries of your own creation, sin big. <laughs> Next the next part of this uh, personal profile, she goes back to Boston mm -hmm. in 1966. And, of course, things had changed in America. Uh, she says it was no longer the dead zone she had fled in 1959. Uh, and let's see, the books come pouring out, The Church and the Second Sex. That was her first book. Uh, it was published back in 68. And... Um, then eventually, of course, uh, she's fired, yes. Uh, and she goes on to give in great detail here an account of uh, uh, her academic career. I actually, I, I'm glad that she stuck it out. She got the students to defend her, and she didn't quit. She stayed in school uh she said, in 1971, I became the first woman to be invited to preach the Sunday service at Harvard Memorial Church. And she said, by then, I was acutely aware of the trap of tokenism. So she gave a um, speech that was what she called a memorial exodus. And um, she told the uh, congregation to stalk out of the church, and apparently they did it. She was scared that only six or seven of her comrades would do it. But she says that by the time she'd finished her speech, hundreds of women and some of the men were stampeding out of the church. <laughs> In any case, um, I wish I had time to go on and read you some material about her uh, complicity, her working with uh, a lot of men, 
who understand the creeping malaise here in the 80s, uh-huh, and how women were divided again in the 80s, women were spooked, uh, check out Mary Daly in the bookstore. Is she, she's such a, uh, well, the best book, I think, in recent years is something called Pure Lust, Elemental Feminist Philosophy. That's dated 1984. And for school teachers, I would recommend Webster's First New Intergalactic Wickedary of the English Language, a dictionary for wicked women, conjured up in cahoots with Jane Caputi in 1987. <laughs> and... Uh, don't, don't be turned off by the feminism. Folks, it's time for us to keep a systemic perspective. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, yes, uh, tell on them. Laugh at them. Laugh aloud at their pretensions. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture Drop the shadow out of It was against the law at that time to be Indian, and there was a lot of um, vigilantes that went through California and killed all the Indians that they could find, and they used to call them Black Sundays. And what our tribe, many of my ancestors did was they, um, they hit